Listener Production. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool, and welcome to The Good Oil. Now, if you're not familiar with the phrase, giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff, and the real stuff, which is exactly the aim of our podcast. We bring you conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, and experts, the people who know what's going on and the people who make things happen. Now, today's guest, as always, is someone who really knows what's going on. You could say he's building the future because that's literally what his company does, and he's been doing it for a long time. If you reckon being head honcho of a business for 22 years is a big deal, Lindsay Partridge has been working for Building Materials Group Brickworks since 1985. And after almost 40 years in the one place, he's one bloke who really knows what's going on, but has also seen a lot of change, even in the brick business, over four decades. Lindsay Partridge, Managing Director of Brickworks, welcome to The Good Oil. Thank you for having me. Mate, Tom, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I will disclose up front, by the way, I'm a shareholder for anyone who uh, who needs to know. It's important that we disclose these things. So I will uh, put that on record up front. Mate, talk to me about bricks as a business. There are plenty of people, me included, who look at some of your competitors and think, that is a really cyclical, low-margin business with booms and busts. Uh, Brickworks has been a very, very different business, and I will talk about some of your stats. So you, you, you're welcome to bring them up, but uh, just, I, I guess I, you know, is, is is Brickworks doing something different, special? Uh, I, I guess you, I imagine you might say yes. Uh, but but you know, how, how is how is brickmaking not just one of the most base commercial commoditized businesses in the country? How does Brickworks continue to do so well? Well, we we do well because we love it. But um, what most people forget is maybe the common side of it, but most of our products is face bricks, and that's actually fashion. And if we can come up with something that looks spectacular, well, people will pay a premium. And so, you know, that's why we've got many products. You know, we import from Spain and Italy, and, you know, we've got glass bricks that could you spend $3,000 a square metre if you want. Um, I mean, so, you know, it's, it's a very much a fashion business, and then we we, we pander to that. You know, that's, that's the thing we, we talk about. It's, it's not... Not a commodity. I think the mis- big mistake that our competitors make is they actually think they're in a commodity and they run the business like that and that they get the outcome that they, they deserve. So let me ask you about that because I, I was going to put those words in your mouth, but you've done it for me, which is lovely. Talk to, to about the business itself though because I've worked for businesses in the past. I worked for a bread business once where you know factory throughput is the only thing that mattered. You, you almost couldn't sell it cheaply enough because you just needed that overhead recovery. These, these were really low price. Obviously, low for bread, cost nothing, cost more to transport than to make. Like It's a really, really structurally bad business. But uh, but Bricks, obviously, to your, to, you know, to your point, some of your competitors run this as commodity. You guys try and do fashion but i assume there's something meaningful in between there there is there is a throughput there's no overhead recovery there is a a demand you know i assume pretty high operating leverage right massive capital expenditures if you if you're short volume you lose a lot of money if you manage to get a bit above that you sort of make a lot of money how do you think about the economics of of the business as well as keeping that kind of fashion element front of mind yeah well i actually had a bread maker once that was one of my factory managers he wasn't a bad factory manager but he kept the kiln temperature too low <laughs> but, <laughs> didn't want to burn the bricks. <laughs> but anyhow, um, yeah, look, it is through Porter. I mean, I think it's a bit of a mistake. Most, If you ask you know, 39 of my 40 factory managers, they'll all tell you through Porter. There might be one that's like, I don't need to go faster to still make them cheap because it, that, that person works out how to make them efficiently. And what the, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger calculation. But, but the, in our business, the, the biggest assets, the kiln and dry, the, the set that does that, uh, it will have a, a definite capacity that you can get to, and that goal is just to run that at 100% the whole time. A big mistake a lot of 
brickmakers make is that, of course, they then cut their prices if they haven't got enough demand. And what we will do, if I've got 10 plants on the East Coast and the demand's not there, I'll just I read, leave nine at flat out and take one off. Or we have a, we've got, every so often we need a maintenance stop, we do all the maintenance stops. Like if we have a slowdown next year, we'll, we'll stop, we'll do all the maintenance stops. We, we do repairs and then get going. And if it's, it's, the stock's a bit high, but we, we make that six weeks instead of four sort of thing. Um, and that's how we adjust it. But otherwise, when it's going, it's got to be 24 7, 365 days a year, it never stops. And to keep those plants up and running at that, like that, the, the team that goes in behind it, I mean, they're, they're built, when we build them, we build them like they're battleships because they're going to abuse. I mean, you know, bricks aren't light. We, we're pulling kiln cars around with 15,000 bricks, you know, they weigh 40, 50 tonne. You drop one of those or whatever, you do a lot of damage. And so they're built solidly, um, really solidly to take that and we expect them to run for 40 years or more. It's incredible. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still mindful, mate. And you, I'm sure you've seen this multiple times in your career, where you know, with periods where everyone wants to talk about everything other than manufacturing, right? There's, there's, there's IT services, software, everything else is the cool thing. And yet, Brickworks has a remarkable. I'll do it now. Um, over 20 years, a thousand dollars in Brickworks has compounded at 10 percent per year, compared to 9.3 percent for the All Lords. In fact, uh, when you guys put your last lot of announcements out, it was only uh, earlier. This month, last month, last month, this on last month. Uh, well, you'd, you'd, you've been beating the market over three, five, 10, 15, and 20 years. Again, for a business that otherwise would be considered cyclical, for a business that would have been considered yesterday's business, and I'm sure as you, you know, plenty of times over the last, well, you, you took over 1999 and 2000 when everyone wanted to talk about dot com companies and then we had lithium and tech and everything else in the meantime. Uh, how do you kind of reflect on, on that part of your business, mate? Is it, is it the quiet achiever thing? Is it just leave us alone, do our business? Is it do the, the, the normal things right, just kind of avoid the fads? Or, or how do you kind of contrast Brickworks as, in theory, from the outside, a, air quotes, boring business versus the exciting ones that are all going broke? Well, look, I think, you know, we've, we've always taken a broad perspective and we've looked at everything beyond just factories. We've also looked at actively managing our land and, you know, We've always been a land company, um, always on the outskirts of the city, and you know this is the third iteration of it. Um, so it's not only about running the factories efficiently, it's about making sure that you're, you're deploying those assets. And so as the value of land's come up, we've, we've managed to deploy that, and that's really given us the, the kicker. Mind you, the, the big business on its own, most pretty concerning some pretty good numbers. We've had a couple of areas like Western Australia that have been dragging us back. Um, we've made some decisions around sort of reducing our exposure there. But so... That being able to get that extra value out is what's what's made the difference, and that's where I think the companies go wrong. They don't they don't look at the whole show. The, and the problem with manufacturing, of course, is as fast as you invest, it comes back at you as depreciation. So the cash flow is good, but you're not actually building wealth. If you want to build wealth, you've got to accumulate assets. Well, there's no better way to accumulate assets than in land because they're not making any more. Um, you know, even gold, there's still gold being produced. So. But there's no more land being made. <laughs> Listen, until Elon turns up on Mars. Uh, okay, while, we're, while we're talking about that, mate, I, I, I want to talk about the Brickworks model because I love this. I still think most people in the market don't understand the land part of your business. We talk about, you know, every company gets thrown into a category and you guys go into, I don't know whether it's manufacturers or whatever it is, but, you know, the the idea of it being a combination business is conglomerates are, are really uncool these days. They used to be all the rage. Then everyone realised, they realised in air quotes, they were all terrible. The business has just kind of kept on actually adding value 
value internally and creating more of that value just kind of kept doing their thing you guys sold pats in which you have across shareholding of course even west farmers you know people see them as as coles and kmart but they're effectively an investment company everything's for sale at the right price and everything's able to be bought at the right price um, what i loved about your business is the ability of buying some land out the outskirts when the, the price is reasonably low then suburbia kind of expands past you and all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of high value land that you can then either sell or develop uh, for uh, you know for your own internal purposes can you tell me a bit about the 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 evolution of that model and, and kind of where you guys are now well i think it was always there you know right back into the early part of last century it was always there and they saw that we had we had 11 sites around sydney you know the st peter's the, the, the parks there was originally but they did a couple of deals where they got approval from the local council on the basis that they gave the, the pit in the end back to the council to put rubbish in, and that wasn't so good. Right? So, yeah, <laughs> so absolutely, when we went to Horsley Park, etc., we had large landowners. What people don't understand is that we're still buying land today. Like, we're, you know, and that can come in either through we do an acquisition and that the business we buy has got land under it. It's a part of our valuation, obviously, to look at that. A lot of companies don't, they just ignore it. And then... And the, and the other one is, you know, we did quarries and we just bought 120 hectares at Brinjilly, the other side of the new airport. In future years, that, that's, that'll be a great block. That'll be a great asset. So, um, so we're still doing it, still evolving. And it's, it's just like the main business pays for that. And then, then you make your, your cream on the top is when you, when you turn around and develop it. Housing, there's no real future position unless we wanted to do um, that build to rent or something like that. But um, I, don't, I can't imagine we'd want to, but... Um, but the industrial is is a great thing to take a position in, um, and it's got it's, it's got its little quirks about it, but but it's just a great thing, particularly at the moment, because there's a shortage of land for industrial as well. It's very tight in Sydney, you know, at the moment, very very tight. This of the million square meters we've got, we haven't got one square meter not rented. We've got every one of our million square meters rented. Tell me more about that, mate. A joint venture with Goodman Group, in uh, for the most part. Um, can, can you kind of just talk about talk about how you guys identify? The partner, the use, the the value of that of that business. How you account for that internally? Yeah, well, we did at, at the time. This is like an early noughties. We did. We we got in various companies that are in that area, and we we had a talk to them. And um, you know, for whatever reason, we decided Goodman was the best. I mean, it, it's a, been a joint venture made in heaven. It's been a fabulous relationship, you know, on a personal level as well as in business. There's never been an issue. We've always just sorted out our problems. There have been plenty of problems, but we've sorted them out. And yet, I look at the other parties we could have got involved in. It could have been a mess. <laughs> so, but they focus. They love They love industrial. That's good. We love bricks. You love industrial, and, and they do the hard yards and the industrial, and it works fine. And they know there's a land bank waiting for them. As soon as they develop one, there's an next parcel there, next parcel. So it means that they can go to their clients, which in some cases are worldwide, like Amazon, etc. And and they know. Oh yeah, yeah, we want three warehouses, and, and they know in every capital city they can put one up because they've got the land sitting there waiting. So. It's a great, it's a great deal. But then I got here, like if they bought the land, they have to pay holding charges. So there's no holding charges. It's just they're waiting for them when they want. Speaking of the future, mate, uh, fast brick robotics. I, I, I've got to tell you, I did a double take when I saw you guys were investing in them. Now you're the single largest shareholder, I think I'm right in saying. Um, now, these guys are using robots to build effectively brick walls. I know it's quite houses yet. Maybe it is. You can tell us. Um uh, that again, for for a brick making company, you could supply anybody with bricks, I suppose. But if if this is the future, this may potentially either risk your business or there are things you could take from it. Tell us about Brickworks interest in, in fast brick robotics. Well, a lot of people don't understand that we were we were one of the founding investors of that. It was about fifteen years ago, and we'd lost interest in it for a while. And and the and the and the technical genius behind it all kept he kept working on it. 
you know, through everything else. And he gradually kept making steps and steps. And actual fact, he can build houses and townhouses today. It's not quite commercial, but the next generation of machine that he's bringing out, we think will be commercial. And the thing about the, the robot is that, you know, a human can only really lift about 10 or 15 kilos, you know, in a unit all day long before they exhaust themselves or they need another helper, which means because you've got two people lifting a product in, well, then this thing can lift 50 kilos. So, you know, we're talking about making big bricks, right? And we're talking about punching out a house in a day and not not a brick veneer house. We're talking about punching out a full brick house, right? And that will be a game changer. And it's, to people don't understand it, it's like a matrix dot printer and the dots are bricks. That's exactly what it does. But it's smarter than that because it knows spatially where it is. And if the wind blows the boom, it adjusts 50 times a second. So it can drop a brick into a millimetre. It can drop bricks in more accurately than a bricklayer. And the bricks are glued together. There's no more. They're glued together. So it's very, very strong walling. And how does that how does it change or how does that augment, how does that give you opportunity as, as brick works the business? Fast brick sounds impressive if it can commercialise. You guys seem to think it, it has a good chance of doing so. What does that do to or for your business? Well, it means that we can supply, we're supplying walls and not bricks. We're supplying them into the bricks installed. That, that's the difference. And is that vertical integration? Is it, is it, is it, you know, do you, is it lack of competition because you guys are the ones who are doing it? How, how does that work for, for your business? Yeah, downward, if you like, integration. Yeah, well... It's the biggest problem. The, the, I've listened for 40 years. The builders complain about bricklayers. I thought, well, it's just <laughs> like, I've tried a couple of things to get rid of them. And just, well, this sounds like this fixes the number one problem that the builders got. And so, like, is that like building quicker, cheaper? Is it like a quicker, cheaper for the homeowner? Where, where's the key? I think, it'll, I think yes, definitely it'll be quicker. I mean, we could, you know, we could, if we can put up a house in a day, if they put the slab in, then we come back the next week, put the bricks up and the roof goes on. You could possibly lock up in three or four weeks. Now, if you can take a month out of the building process, now, remember the builders on those progress payments, and so that's his cash flow. It was a boom to the cash flow. That's remarkable. How far away is that, mate? I know Hadrian. I think the robot's called, um, which is a clever name. How how far away is commercialization as far as you guys are concerned? Well, this Hadrian X is the one that's going to be. It's either going to be successful or not. If it's, we think it's going to be successful, if it's viable, then then you know it's it's the beginning of the new new game. You know, game on. So, you know, we, we want to have an educated workforce broadly, and I think that makes sense. I think we all want to believe we can be a higher skilled, higher wage workforce over time. That, that improves the standard of living. I, I assume you would suggest we are putting too much emphasis even locally on tertiary education in, in university courses rather than trades, rather than those kind of practical skills. Is that a short version of, of how you're seeing the world? Well, well yeah, it's just a bit of the fact that you can't get the kids. Like, we try, you try to advertise, you try to do that. Yeah, you know, they don't. They're not really interested because they've come there, got a background. If you're an iPhone kid, your life has been sitting inside playing an iPad. It's not out out mucking around outside doing those sorts of things. You just you just you're not interested in, in an out, outdoor job and working with your hands. So the only way we're going to get around it is we're going to have to immigrate the people that do the work that our population doesn't want to do. Mate, uh, the other inflation thing we, we you guys have talked about in your public. Uh, comments before is the cost of energy. Uh, now that seems to at least globally have peaked and maybe is coming back down, but I assume it's still a really significant impost. Is that your major inflationary concern for Brickworks at the moment? Well, we've managed to secure long-term gas, and so I'm not really worried about that. And it's now sort of tied down at, at, at inflation at a higher rate than the cap. I've got to say, but um, it's still, it's look, we're going to get it, and the people are going to try and do what they can to bring it on. Um, what's caught us out in the last six months, I've got to say, is basic raw materials that no one would ever think there'd be a shortage of. Like, could you imagine there'd be a shortage of road base? Like, there's no road base. You can't get road base. 
And I assume it's all going into. I mean, they just dig it out of the ground, but but it's all going. I assume into the airport and the and the ton, the, the new railway metro and such. It's and and crusher dust, which is it was a, a waste material from from hard rock quarries we put in our masonry blocks. That's what we put in because it was cheap. It's gone up like one hundred and fifty percent. and you can't get it. So like these sorts of things, nobody can see that coming. It just sort of happened overnight. And that, those things that have really sort of made us choke in a couple couple of areas, just the extent of the increases and then the shortages. And is that is that a question of kind of the economy running too fast? I mean, yeah, they, they said like local supply issues. Not, we're not talking about oil from uh, you know, oil from Russia or, or wheat from Ukraine. This is strikes me at least as an economy that's at capacity. We're probably overspending, overstimulating, and that's causing those sort of, uh, you know, unusually large variations. Absolutely. Look, you know, they stimulated the individuals, to, you know, get them through COVID. At the same time, they threw all this money in these massive capital work projects, and not just one state, right down the East Coast. I mean, you're trying to build the Olympics in, in Brisbane and, you know, and this, the projects are just beyond our capacity. And so we've ended up with a huge labour shortage. And <laughs> I tell you, labour. So we used to hire fit, uh, fitters at about, and electricians at about $30 an hour. We're currently paying $90, $90 to contractors, three times the rate. And if you don't pay, get up those sort of numbers... And, and $60 an hour for someone to come on your stuff. Nobody even answers. And then they bargain with you. If you got $10 an hour in the, co- in, the in the space for a couple of hours. Tell, tell the kids to go and be traders, obviously. Sounds like the, the, the message. Well, you know, $50 an hour, you're on 2000 a week. It's not bad for somebody who's in an apprenticeship and got out when they were, you know, 20. <laughs> it's a good quid. It's a good quid. Tell me your story, mate. How do you become a brickmaker by trade? What's the, what's the what's the journey to that? At the University of New South Wales, I did ceramic engineering. Uh, and those days in the mid-70s, you know, it was exciting because, you know, the space shuttle was covered in ceramics and uh, silicon chips were coming out. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that were going into and uh, you know, a lot of defence things, new sonars and all this sort of stuff was all ceramics. And, um, yeah, so, but in Australia, the main industry, of course, was was heavy clay, which is sort of the dumb end of the business, but it's, <laughs> it's sort of me. <laughs> very good, very good. Mate, um, and then, so talk about, about your career through Brickworks. Obviously, you saw, or you, you felt some ambition, others saw opportunity and potential in you. Um, what, what is, how's your career kind of uh, evolve after you joined? Well, I only, ever, I actually, I only went for one interview, and that was an interview with my previous employer, and I'd been quite successful with them, and ended up had like four factories I was running and I spent a stint in the United States and stints all over Australia and I'd been out like nine years. So um, I had a bit of experience and I, the general manager of Austral Bricks invited me to come and work for them. And he gave me this plant that was completely flogged out in Sydney, the one actually where we were building plant two. I went in there and it was like a disaster, like a bomb went off. I, I just couldn't believe that anybody could destroy it. And it wasn't that old then. It was only 20 years old and they completely destroyed it. I couldn't believe it. Anyhow, in the next two years, we really put it together and it was flying and um, then that Two years later, so maybe operations manager, so I ran all the New South Wales plants, had five plants. Uh, two years, then maybe general manager in New South Wales. I did that for 10 years. I'd say to anybody who wants a career, you need to be a general manager for 10 years because that's when you really get the experience and you really learn, you get to do the things that you don't, the tough things, that decisions and handling tough people situations, that, that, you know. So I did that and then um, the previous MD, previously he wanted to retire and um, so I became deputy M- MD and then, and there was deputy CEO and then CEO and MD. So um, 
I spent a lot more time as, as the boss than I did as, in the early years. So, anyhow, I don't know how much longer I'm going to go, but anyhow, so we'll see. Happens, <laughs> happens if you get there quickly enough. Mate, yeah. so, talk to me about that that uh, job of, you mentioned the, the clapped out uh, brick factory. Uh, what, what, what is, I mean, take us inside um, a building products business, bricks and tiles, obviously, your your key business lines. Um, what, what makes a good, what makes a bad brick factory? How, how do you look in and go, gee, this is terrible, or here's what I need to improve? How how much was how much was just kind of basic common sense, and how much was some insight or some some obvious change that needed to be made? Look, look at every any business that comes out, what the gross margin you're achieving, and that's got two factors. You know what you can sell it for, how good's the product you're making, and what sort of price you can get for it. And the second one is, you know, how cheap can you make them? And anyhow, so we 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 this was a premium plant, and we, and we managed to um, you know dramatic, came up with a range of products that we got dramatically increased prices uh, that we could. We made a quality was, was had been terrible. It t- we turned the quality into brilliant, no waste. And then uh, we we pulled a third of the labour out of the plant because I simplified the plant and then fixed up the things that were unreliable. You know, usually the plants are things that are unreliable. Yeah, and so you know, it went very well. And um, you know, as I said, we ran it. We ran it up until a few years ago and just demolished it. But it was one one of our really strong profit earning plants, and it remained that way ever, ever after that. Nice. I should say, mate. I am about three kilometres from Barrel Bricks, uh, one of one of your one of your brick plants uh, down here in the Southern Highlands, New South Wales. So I uh, was familiar with the, the the product even before I bought the bought the shares. But uh, that's a hundred hundred something years old, I believe. Yeah, no, I think nineteen twenty four. No, we just had the hundred years last year. Well, earlier this year. This is this is its hundredth year. Nineteen twenty three. Um, yeah. So like, it's it's an amazing product, and we're the only one who makes that dry press style, and the architects love it. We're completely sold out. The, um, we've done. We've spent a lot of money in the plant, but we need to spend some money on a, a new plant eventually. The kiln needs replacing. Um, but yeah, but it, it's going very well, and it's, it's great business. And what's nice about that? The community likes us down there. You know, we're part of the community. It was other places we're in regionally. Sometimes they're not liked, but I don't know why. But they do like us there, and so we, we love it. We, we would always reinvest back in the same area. We wouldn't move out of, out of town. What's the What's the US future look like in terms of growth? I, I assume everything's possible and everything's on the table at the right price with the right opportunity uh to what extent is that the net result of necessary diversification and, and looking for growth versus obviously a market the population is 15 times the size of australia many 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 more large cities over there i mean the the, the opportunities seem i would say boundless but a, pr- a pretty big potential size as always though australian companies going to the u.s have a pretty checkered history i imagine you're also pretty cognizant of that yeah, look, look, we looked at a lot and where they went wrong and where they went right. And people, I think, you know, critical for a couple of companies. Well, Blue Scope's over there. It's done fabulously well. Hardy's is over there, done fabulously well. Uh, Boral did fabulously well until the um, the GFC, and then they ne- they lost their mojo at that point. They never they never regrouped it. Um, you know, the business that we found fits right into our model. It's super premium, you know, right at the top end. We're in the part of the US where brick is more predominant. Um, for commercial and institutional works, whereas in the southern states, remember the American brick market is about five times, it's about five billion brick, has been as high as 10 billion versus a bit over a billion for Australia. So um, it is a bigger market, um, but our business is two-thirds into that institutional architectural work. And, you know, we've got 60% market share in New York and 70% in Chicago and, you know, they're, they're, and we, do, we do these like... Um, fast food chains. We do universities. We've got 25 universities where we do, just think of how many universities there are in Australia, but we've got 25 in America where we do all their brick. Right? All their buildings are out of our bricks. Right? Um, and there's others out of competitors' parks. So 
we're in a the market we're in, we don't really have a lot of competition. The prices we get two and three times what the housing builders get down in Texas, et cetera. Texas, the Texas market on its own is bigger than Australia. Mate, the third, the third leg of the, the Brickwork story, or the third part of the business, is, of course, the, the cross-shareholding with Solpats, Washington H. Solpatents. And at this point, I will say I also own Solpats shares, just to get that on the record. Um, can you give our listeners a, 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 a very short part of history of the background of how that came about, obviously before your time, before my time, uh, but also how, how you guys see them and, and they see you and how that all works? Yeah, well, look, it, look, it came around in the late 60s. Uh, Brickworks was worried that um, the London Brick was going to have a go at us. And um, anyhow, because we were the largest brickmakers south of the equator. I assume we still are, actually. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> so they, um, yeah, so, so Solpats were the same size as us. They're both worth about $26, $27 million. And so they swapped a million shares each. Um, and it was an offensive takeover at the time. Uh, although, as the director said, it doesn't mean that you can't get taken over, it just means you'll get a full price, um, which, you know, and it has, but it's worked well. But but having the investments, um, and they've grown phenomenally well over that period. I mean, you know, their, their last 20 years is another couple of percent up on ours. Um, so they've been a great investment. But the thing is, you know, building products is a volatile business. And what having an investment side to the business has allowed us to pay our dividend even in the tough times. And that's why our dividends are very, very reliable. And our, and our share price is backed by our net asset backing, not, not our not our NAV, our net assets. So, um, and that's that's a very very strong situation in that regard. And um, you know the growth in sales you mentioned before, but I think today it's about three billion. You know, but our property is two point two, and you know we've sort of indicated it's going to go to three within five years. So, um, those two things alone, I mean, the, the the brick business is almost like a rounding error on the end. They're like. Only got seven hundred million or something invested in it. So, so, but but you know that's that's great. I mean, a lot of companies would do buybacks or one-off things and a special dividend, and then it's all gone. You know, and so, and so you know to actually get us into the situation where we've got this large bank of assets that we can pay this dividend. Um, you know, we got a hundred million in, I think, from Souls last year, and we get we get we'll be heading towards getting the same in from the property. So that's a pretty good start to the year when. Before we start, we know we've got a couple hundred million dollars coming in in cash to pay our dividend. It's a good starting point. Mate, Tom, let me talk about those dividends because uh, maybe just to just give you a, a victory lap, obviously mostly your time, but also before your time. Uh, Brickworks, this is astonishing. Mate. I actually didn't even realise how good it was. 47 years as of uh, March anyway, uh, 2023. Let's, let's date snap this. Uh, 47 years of dividends that have either increased or stayed the same. That's got to put you in the top what, one, two, three businesses on the ASX, surely? Since we listed in the early 60s, it, they've only ever once put the dividend down, and that was in 1975. And that was all everyone knows what was going on. It was a pretty tough time in 1975. Mate, tell, tell me about the future. You talked about buybacks. You talked about uh, dividends, special dividends. Obviously, those aren't on the agenda. Uh, but, but kind of, you know, the, the you know, put put your successes hat on. Hopefully, in many, many, many years' time. Uh, what what is what is the Brickworks sort of strategic 10, 20, 30 year plan look like? Yeah, good, good question. Well, I won't be here. So <laughs> somebody else will decide. But. Oh, look, uh, we're just trying a bit quiet at the moment because we just want to see how this next 12 or 18 months pans out. And, you know, we've, we've maybe got a little bit more debt than what we wanted because um, a few things that we, few things didn't go our way. Um, the last parcel of land we sold, we left, we didn't, we could have taken 100 million out, we didn't. We left it in there because we felt that was a safer, more prudent way to keep a gearing down in the trust, which is only sitting at like 21%. Um, and then our plant that we're building, a new plant, plant two, 
is gone over like everything else has and it's late. Um, it's just about to start right now. Um, but it cost us another 70 million. So we found ourselves, you know, a couple hundred million behind where we wanted to be. So we thought, just, just cool our heels for a little while and just see what goes on in the world. See these, once these interest rates stop rising, then we'll have a bit of a feel, you know, where things are and hopefully the housing will pick up and we'll, we'll take it from there. But eventually longer term, the US is most probably more, um, acquisitions, you know, in the, in the sheds, we'll keep building them. Um, you know, every three to five years, we'll mostly replace a plant, um, you know, bring them up to date. American bricks being exported to the UK. I mean, bricks, generally speaking, pretty low value to weight ratio, right? Trucking, trucking them across town's expensive enough. I, 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 I am flabbergasted that you could make a dollar trying to send a brick from New York to, to the UK. How's that work? Well, you know, the freight map of the world is not the geographic map, you know, um, one way is like, for example, China to Europe is very strong, and uh, but they want to get the containers back in the Pacific Basin. So that's how come we can bring product for $1,000 a container out of, it's basically fuel money, um, bring the containers out of Europe back into the Pacific Basin. So that's what we bring from Italy and Spain, and that works out very well. And we're selling super premium products because there's all people who would like an imported product. Well, the UK is the same. The UK only really makes about, 70% of the bricks it consumes. And so it's always had to import. And usually that's been across the, the channel, maybe in from Belgium and um, Holland and those sorts of areas. Um, but so, but the freight, believe it or not, is mainly Europe to the US. From the US back, it's backloading. So that's what makes it worse. So selling super premium product, backloading the freight, and, and you're yourself a nice business. Mate, uh, let's finish off with our, our favourite questions, if you if you wouldn't mind. Uh, a lot of our listeners are big readers. They're watchers. They're streamers. They do all these all these things. Uh, what's on your uh, virtual or, or, or literal physical nightstand? What are you reading, watching, and listening to? At the moment, I'm reading the history of England. So, <laughs> oh, nice. There you go. <laughs> I've always got a couple of books. I mean, I don't, I don't read too many business books of that these days. But, but uh, no, I'm, I'm interested in history. And um, I like to go, before I go places, go have a read about it to understand it. And even though my, obviously my, my um, family, you know, came you know, 100 odd years ago from, from there, I didn't, don't really sort of totally understand the history, but I thought, so I'll read that. And I'll read a lot of history. I'll read, I'll read just different times and different areas in history and what happened or, um, you know, so. I suppose the Romans did discover was it cement uh, long before the, the, the Palms managed to rediscover <laughs> yeah, it some century or so great, later. Exactly. Great, great yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe it was always yeah. destined for that. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're, you're watching building and construction trends, mate. But but looking around the world, maybe it's that, maybe it's something else. Um, what what trends are you watching? What are you seeing? What are you fascinated by? Oh, well, I think a bit like I thought, modulation is an interesting sort of trend. It hasn't like hasn't evolved as much as people thought. I mean, putting in whole modules like in container size, it's more difficult than you think. Um, Panelization is interesting, uh, but you know we, we've been in panelization with with uh, precast, and yeah, it was a tough game. We got out of it. Um, you know, it's got its problems, and they, they, the the one big high rise that failed here was uh, was panels, and you know one thing went wrong. You know, the panel was back to front, or the ledge was wrong, or something, and the pa panel broke. Um, so it's not so easy. Um, but if you put it in like we're talking about, I think that's that's the way that we can really get the automation up and get the productivity that we need to get on the installation side. I don't know long term about other products. They, they seem to think maybe we can do roof tiles. I don't think you're going to be able to do floor tiles. I think floor tiles are for the time being. But, you know, when I look at these things, if you watch the video clips of Boston Robotics and see what those robots, you know, the human-like, and what they can do, they can outperform what a human does. It's, it's only a matter of time that you'll have a robot like a human. you say, here, go load the tiles over there. 
and they'll, and they'll work around the clock till they've done it. Easy for someone to think that AI may not uh, interrupt Brickworks business, but are you keeping an eye on that, or is that something that's sort of yeah? I mean, I've, and... I've been enjoying using ChatGPT. I give it all these hard questions for it. I said, if I invest this much money for so long and da da da, what's <laughs> what's the answer? It bingo's it out, or you know, you want to write a, a, a card or something, you can't quite get the words right, and the card the, it bingo's it out. I thought this is good. Someone said they're writing their monthly reports. I thought, yeah, that's just, I'll have to try that one. Put in all the data, and then I'll write my report. <laughs> You go to a four-day work week, your job's done. It's going to mean more productivity. I mean, I say this to our own staff. All of us have to increase our productivity every year some way. And look at the way I work today to the way I worked 30 or 40 years ago. And it it doesn't change. Every year, I still, even though I'm getting on, I'm... I know more about what's going on in the world than half my staff. <laughs> but, yeah, but, 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 you know, I'm always looking at because I'm inquisitive. You know, what can, how do I use that? You know, and, and there's a classic example. Um, I think that's going to make an explosive growth in our um, – and they're, they're using it in wars and stuff as well, but it's going to make an explosive growth in, our, in humans' productivity. Um, just incredible. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Mate, you obviously started uh, started very young as a ceramic engineer and built a career on it. Uh, what advice would you give someone who was either going into or coming out of uni or maybe a trade, was, as we started talking about, uh, who was interested in a job in your industry? What, what advice would you give a young person? To oh, I, well, my first advice to any young person is go do something you, you love and you'll never work a day in your life. If, you, know, you don't have to be doing something you don't like. It doesn't matter what it is as long as you really, really love doing it, right? Um, that's the first thing. And have a guess what? If you do something you love, you're going to be good at it. Because you know, you, because you're interested. Yeah. Um, if you do something you don't like, there's a good chance you won't be very good at it at all. So, uh, but whether it be this or any other issue, that's exactly it. Is you really got to want to want to do it. And my our last question. I, I I'm an optimist by nature. I find most of our guests are optimists. You kind of need to be to be in business, right? You have to believe the future is going to be better than the past. So I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I will ask: Are you optimistic? And if you are, what are you optimistic about? Well, I've always been optimistic. I think I think there's a lot of discussion going on about a whole lot of things, which. Um, aren't as big as issues as what maybe bring raised, raised, but the real issues are being ignored. And I mean, they're concerns. I mean, I worry about the energy situation. I worry if we're going to have blackouts. So, you know, other than worry about it, I just got to buy a generator. You know, and so if it blacks out, I've got a generator. So, but, um, but I think, you know, bit by bit, contrary to all that, our lives are getting better. Contrary to what people say, our lives are getting better. We're becoming wealthier and becoming more productive. Uh, our, our jobs are becoming physically less demanding. Uh, we're getting to spend uh, more time with our family, um, you know, particularly if you've got the transport organised, you know, um, things are getting better. Health is getting better. You know, medicines are getting better. All these things are getting better. Um, you know, I, I think we live in a very uh, fortunate time as long as we don't, us human beings, don't muck it up. I think that's probably the biggest risk. Uh, mate, you've been very, very generous with your time. I am a very happy Brickworks shareholder. May you stay there for many, many years, AI enhanced, hopefully to come. Uh, if not, I'm sure your success <laughs> will do a, a wonderful job. And Lindsay Partridge, thank you for joining us on The Good Oil. Thank you very much. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden and imaged by Link Kelly.